What's up, Jay Brones? Live from Brooklyn, New York, and Toronto, Ontario, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bass. My co host is John F. Malta, and we are very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something. Let the people know you're alive, pal. Heaven doesn't want him, and hell is afraid he'll take over. Mick Foley's bloody legacy. I picked up a July 1998 Raw magazine earlier today, just about like three hours ago. Uh, classic Raw cover on eBay. Uh, Mick Foley's covered in blood. And uh, it's pretty incredible that it it is to, to think that that is on the cover of a WWF magazine. Like he's smi- gleefully smiling and his face is just drenched in blood, and he's gripping a barbed wire bat. Crimson mask. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's I think, my earliest... I, I wrote in the uh, fourth issue of Torture Act, uh, in my in the Japanese the, the article about traveling to Tokyo, I wrote about seeing that different wrestlers were traveling to Japan when I was a kid and reading about that. And I, I do think that that is, like, my earliest... Uh, memory that people travel internationally to places and seeing these photos at that time made me want to go watch wrestling in Japan uh, as a kid and what led to me ultimately going to Wrestle Kingdom earlier this year. So was this the same magazine that you saw when you were a kid or just a, like a No, no, no. It's the, it's the exact same magazine. I remember having it. Is. it the, yeah, Holy it's the same. Shit. Yeah, yeah. It's the same. It's the mag... Because this, uh, this cover, for whatever reason... Um, this edition of WWF magazine features the Kawasaki Dream tournament photos from it, uh, the King of the Death match finals with Terry Funk versus uh, Mick Foley, Cactus Jack. One of and, my classic match recommendations. Yeah, back in August uh, on the anniversary of the Kawasaki Dream tournament, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I would like to I'd be interested and curious to know how those photos from another promotion's like big event ended up on the cover of raw. I mean, they're very cool photos and it's That's like, a good a, point. it's a cool thing to see. Like one of our wrestlers was in Japan in this wild tournament and now he's here to raise hell. Uh, and that's like a thing I feel like a lot of us wrestling fans have been like hungry for in wrestling, which WWE does not do now, which is acknowledge the world outside of itself. It's just the WWE universe Absolutely. period. Whereas AEW it's like, Oh yeah, of course John Moxley was on Bloodsport fighting chris dickinson like Dude, you know it's not on the dynamite before full gear when cody called out darby and he's like you want this title there's one problem darby you're not the ace i was like holy shit is tanahashi <laughs> incoming like wait waiting cody? in the wings yeah he, like, like, he like he's my next dude yeah totally what made you pick up that magazine like today well, I, I've been meaning to get a copy of it ever since writing that intro for my article. Uh, back then, I like I did a bunch of Googling to try to find... I knew it was an issue of Raw Magazine, and I knew Ma- Mick Foley was on the cover bleeding, but I couldn't couldn't remember which one specifically it was, so I kept like searching and searching and searching until I found that cover. And then I looked on eBay, and there was one uh, up for auction this weekend, so I'd been waiting for it. And kind of leads into... Um, Torture Act issue five, I'm doing a big uh, editorial on the Kawasaki Dream Tournament. So oh, I thought it would sick. be good to have some, like, you know, inspiration from back then. Mm. And, you know, from the very first sort of 
uh, instance of me seeing what a death match was, uh, you know, I was, this came out in 1998, I would have been 11. So uh, I was 11 looking at this and then, you know, just, and seeing that tournament, uh, I remember looking at this with my older brother and then he eventually found uh, a VHS tape that was produced by the insane clown posse called Strangle Mania. <laughs> Where Sorry, this is your this is your brother the juggalo. <laughs> yes, the ex juggalo. Uh, <laughs> he he found a tape called Strangle Mania where the IC Insane Clown Posse do commentary over top of the Kawasaki Dream Tournament, uh, and that's how I first seen. That sounds uh, absolutely insane. Yeah, it's wild. I I've I not seen Strangle Mania since I was a kid. I would like to watch that VHS tape again. I, I don't. I'm not sure how much I would re- relate to it or be into like their commentary now. But when I was 11, I was all about it. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I man. Wish how I had you the time to watch all these, these <laughs> oddities of wrestling. Uh, I've been good, busy. I feel very much uh, the the lack of wrestling that I have to watch. Uh, ever since uh, the G1 ended, uh, there's a little bit of that that hole in my life where it's like, Oh, I don't have to catch up on some more new Japan matches. That's too bad. Uh, I did try to put on a little bit of a power struggle, uh, but it was a little bit of a, a struggle for me to uh, be that interested just because a lot of these matches are just uh, replays of matches that we've seen before, like evil versus Naito. This has to be what their fifth encounter at this point uh, over the last couple of months. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, even Suzuki Takagi, like I, I wanted to watch that, but I couldn't really get into it. The only match I ended up watching, I know you watched the whole thing, was uh, Great Okan versus Great Okada. <laughs> yeah, there's certainly like a, a void of content when you don't have the G1 to watch. Uh, like later in the episode, we'll talk about the uh, 1998 Survivor Series. I actually had some time to watch like a classic pay per view this this time around when sure. you're not watching 55 matches in two we- in uh, 14 days. Uh, you know, you got some time to watch some other things, but I even found that pay-per-view, even though it was two hours and 45 minutes, I watched it in three parts. So I don't know how I had the time to watch the G1. I truly do not. We really blasted those matches out. Yeah. I mean, you watched, I think you watched every match, all 55. And I think I watched probably 51 out of 55. I think we actually probably both watched around 50, 51 matches. But between us, we watched every single one. I made sure to watch the ones that you didn't watch. Because like, I didn't watch sure. any of Yujiro's like, last matches. Yeah, uh, so I, I watched those just to make sure. But uh, yeah, so what did you think of Power Struggle overall? Because you, you actually watched it. So you skipped over the no corner pad match between Yano and ZSJ? Is that what you're telling speaking, me? Speaking of matches I've seen before, I just saw this in the G1. I don't know why. Hey, bro. I don't know why. <laughs> I do love How that. How could you skip this match? I find them um, where you got Yujiro fatigue. I got Yano fatigue. Um, I could see that all of those matches all in a row in such a short amount of time. I find I could, I could see that being understandable. I, I am still a big fan of Yano's. So I know you are. Um, <laughs> one thing I don't like about Yano's matches that have, has happened on commentary. I have two commentary complaints about the Yano match. One, I don't like that the corner pads have names. I don't know if that's people find that funny. Like if there's other people that find Rocky Rom- Rocky Romero saying that the corner pads have names funny is funny, but I like it makes me feel it feels very. I know it's like a meta. It's almost like it's being like meta to the point that it's looped back around and become like WWE commentary almost, <laughs> where it's like 
supposed to be funny, but it's not funny. And it's like, I doubt who's, that's who's in the this Japanese. For? Like, I doubt that that's in the Japanese commentary. I don't think so. And I don't it's think like Milano Collection uh, is doing that one. <laughs> like, is someone at home laughing at Rocky saying, "Oh, that's Bruce"? No, wait, that's Katie. Like, I don't remember the na- the names of them, but that's like I Kevin Kelly will be like Rocky. Who now? Which one is this? Is this like Lenny or? Is that like Homer? It's like it's that this isn't fun. This isn't funny. I don't I don't like this. I guess I have three commentary notes right now. Secondly, Chris Charlton keeps saying we're in a post corona world. As well coronavirus is raging on. Uh I'm not sure why he keeps saying that. Um I don't know why I have he so many means a post corona Japan. Is that I guess because it's like kind of under control there, but like I don't know, man. Yeah, it seems like not good to to because uh, like the the, yeah, the to, English commentary yeah, is specifically that. going out to us, so it's like we really want to reinforce yeah, that. A... Lastly, what on uh, on the on the tip of Chris Charlton, he had a great call in this match <laughs> that you would love, where he said he calls Z- ZSJ. Uh, the John Carpenter of wrestling because of the body horror he brings to the matches. God damn. Isn't that such a sick you, call? You got me, Charlton. So I love that. A bit of good and a bit of bad. The match overall, uh, commentary notwithstanding, was okay. It was as good as the match that they had in uh, did he, did the he G1. Did he fight straight, though? Did Yano try to actually fight? The no corner so pads thing... Added to the match for sure. Y- Yano, there was more wrestling to it, and there was like, I mean, he gave ZSJ a belly to belly that was like, wow, that's that's some sick power there, and it was a desperation belly to belly on ZSJ because it was like his last sort of gasp move. Yeah, uh, and you know, ZSJ ha- uh, put Yano in a submission out on the rails. But at that time, Yano secretly tied ZSJ's shoes together, and ZSJ couldn't free himself. Uh, so then Yano <laughs> ran back into the ring, and Yano wons and it won and is the reigning king of pro wrestling. Yeah, well, sad I missed that. Um... <laughs> the second match, uh, Shingo versus Suzuki. I agree with you in that uh, I I really liked it. Like, how do you not like? Shingo versus Suzuki, but I felt this whole event felt very much like what has been happening in WWE recently, where we're seeing rematch after rematch after rematch, where each pay-per-view kind of is like a pastiche of the previous pay-per-view with like two additional matches added to it. And that's it's just totally, like, that's what like this was. They're stopgap pay-per-views, basically. Uh, except for there are some huge implications that happen in this one um absolutely yes yeah um it it felt like why wasn't there some cross cross block competition like right the only match here that's not a rematch is okada versus great okan right i think that's true actually yes that is true that's wild uh yeah what uh what did you think of the great okan speaking of uh i i really liked his wild like before he did his, uh, what are they called? The I Mongolian have, chops. The Mongolian chops to each side of the throat. Like, <laughs> he almost sounds like a bird, basically. It's a good impression uh, of it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't know. And I know he's, like, um, modeled after, like, um, 
yeah, like some sort of ancient Chinese uh, traditional. They said do, they said dokai. Mm. Yeah, there there was like notes on each of the different like things that he was uh, wearing, and right. in general, I mean that's cool. But he to me felt like a great Muda, great Nita kind of character, where he's kind of scary and like has sort of a uh, mystical sort of feeling to him, uh, right. which I really liked. And I like that presence being on the New Japan roster uh, in contrast to someone like Master Wato, who is, you know, right. seems kind of like a, a joke a little bit. I did think it was interesting that the commentary really hyped him up by saying that, uh, like Kevin Kelly said it twice, like that he was getting like flashbacks to eight years ago when Okada returned from his... Oh, excursion, right. Yeah, I, I Okada... actually forgot about that note. Yeah, that's a that's a big pedestal to put him on. Yeah, and what I really liked is because um, he... Kevin Kelly said something similar to what I said about Okada recently, that Tanahashi, like, he had done everything. He had finished the game. Like, he beat the game of New Japan, mm. basically. And that's kind of what I had argued, that what we were both saying, that where Okada is right now, he's... he's He's beaten the game. He's he's headlined the Tokyo Dome like five times in a row. Like, what what more is there to do, basically, uh, other than switch it up a little bit? That's and, an interesting way of putting it. Like beat, beating the game. Like how much yeah. more can he do? Like, yeah, Okada's like, on like New Game Plus like three, basically, <laughs> or like four. Yes, exactly. <laughs> new Game Plus. Yes, totally. His new game is that he's not allowed to use the Rainmaker. He can only use the. Uh, um money clip dude but, um... you know what's surprising though uh and something that i love about the great Ocon is that he's called the dominator <laughs> like i'm really surprised that no one has been called that yet and i'm sure on the indies someone has called themselves that but like to a greater degree someone who's made a bigger impact when, what did you think I, of that name whenever i hear the dominator i just think of <laughs> my friend pierre when we were like 10 years old when i got no mercy <laughs> his create a character was called the dominator and I always thought of it as like, like a bad like French translation of like <laughs> what an English person like would think was cool. Like I'm the Dominator. Um, <laughs> so like I cannot see that without just without thinking of that and laughing. Speaking of No Mercy, dude, uh, how are you feeling about the AEW games announcements? Dude, I could I could not be more excited. Like I was waiting for them to announce that game with Ukes. Um, Yes. I hope that it is as close to No Mercy. I've played lots of wrestling games, and I've never played a single game that felt as intuitive as that one in terms of, like, you grapple strong, weak grapple into, like, a series of moves left up. Or, sorry, like, up B, down B. Like, it's so it's so easy to, to, to do, and it just, I don't know. The strikes were satisfying. Like, every other game, they try to make them more like wrestling simulators now. It's yeah. like you get simulator games or you get ridiculous games with no sort of replayability like Battlegrounds. And this seems like that perfect middle ground. Yeah, it's it's just what everybody wants. Everyone thinks that the best wrestling game ever has been No Mercy. So why not make one that's yeah. exactly like No Mercy? That it's, an interesting, it's an interesting point, too. I feel like you can really feel that game. Like, in my mind, those the uh, Nintendo 64, Aki Engine games all feel very simple and intuitive and like thinking like you were saying how the strikes feel satisfying like 
when you bust someone open in that game, when they get bloody oh, and that noise man. happens, I yeah. feel like you can you it feel like when you press like B or A, whatever you press to throw a strike in that game, I feel like you can feel when they you bust someone open almost. There's like some kind of connection that happens with the it way feels, it feels tactile. It just feel it's like yes. Mario jumping. It just feels good. And there's also like the, there's the strong punch and the weak punch. Uh huh. The the weak punch is like faster and it doesn't do as much damage. But when you hold the B and you see them kind of like you know what I mean, they put a little like wind up. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like it's like The Rock when he. We'll talk about this later. Yes. Watching him totally. Yeah. The Rock and Undertaker's like, throw jabs. Yes. Dude, I know we're skipping ahead, but like. Watching their match, we watched the 98 Survivor Series, and those two, gotta be, like, two of the best strikers ever. Like, two of the best punchers. And very different. Like, Rock's Mm -hmm. got that little wind-up where he, like, shakes his arm a little bit before he hits you. Whereas, Undertaker just, like, knifes up. Almost like an uppercut, but like a blade-edge uppercut into your, like, throat. This is not on video, but I just keep thrusting my (laughs) my arm. I think the people listening will understand what you mean, though. I I hope Uh, so, yeah. But yeah, dude, I'm very psyched for the AEW game. I really hope there's a creative wrestler mode so me, you, and Thomas can all create each other and then have uh, battles because that would be super fun. Pick tag partners. I love the look of it. I love that it was like Omega getting beaten up by Sheeta for the yes, half of Yes, that was it. cool. Yeah. Again, it was like it was the perfect mix between like this looks realistic, but also it could play on. I feel like that could run on Switch. Like it didn't look that. You know what yes. I mean? It didn't yeah, it didn't, like P- didn't look PS5 like hyper-realistic in the way a lot of sports games do now. Um, yeah. And he even when Kenny was talking about it, he was like, I want it to be like NBA Jam or like NFL Blitz. Hell yeah. It's like, That's yeah. sick. Yeah, I haven't got to, I haven't watched the video yet uh, where they're all Steve Jobs. Uh, I need to watch that. <laughs> Have you watched the trailer? For the I game? did. I skipped into the, yeah, I skipped ahead to watch the actual like uh, gameplay stuff that they showed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Look pretty cool. I I also really would like to play the because we always talk about booking. Like uh, I would love to be the be the manager and 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 book pay per views. Yeah, I'm excited to check that game out too. I've not ever played the game that keeps getting referenced online. Uh, that's like a booking wrestling game, but I'm excited to play an AEW one since we constant. This whole podcast is basically us creating fantasy booked scenarios uh, <laughs> that we hope hope happen. Um, but yeah, circling back to power struggle. So you. Uh, Okan versus Okada is the only uh, match you watch. Yeah, and I Kenta versus really... Tanahashi, like that was the following match, and you know it was good. Like it was, it was a great match, but it was no better or worse than the previous match that uh, they had um, in the G one. And I loved that match, and this match was good too. But again, like it did feel just like, well, I just watched this. This is like rewatching a match that I liked on repeat almost. Yeah. The only notable thing about that match was that Kenta keeps calling out Moxley. Uh, do you think that we'll see him at Wrestle Kingdom? I want to say yes. I mean, I feel like that, yes. Also, he's got that briefcase. Uh, by the way, I love that we're getting Okada Osprey at Wrestle Kingdom. Yes, that's, that's going to so be sick. sick. Yes, that'll like, be really good. Like you know, that was like one of my top five favorite matches of the G One, if not my favorite. And their match from the previous G1 was also one of my favorites. And I know we're just complaining about not wanting to see matches again. But I would, <laughs> I would fucking would watch like a 45-minute version of that one. And the idea that he wants to like retire Okada. Yeah. That's, that's super fucking cool. Yeah, I, I, I liked that, that the, the promo he cut at the end of that 
you know, just before the Kenta Tanahashi match, he called himself Okada's little brother and said he could never achieve greatness being Okada's little brother. Then he needed to break off and uh, do his own thing. And I think that's a great, what, you know, great story. Was he in chaos? He was, yeah. Will Ospreay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was a, big, a chaos member. That's a big loss. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's good. They need, they definitely, it, it's been feeling like New Japan needed to shake up their factions a little bit yeah Yeah. to introduce a few new ones like i think they could use even one more they could use another face faction there's this osprey empire faction it's obviously a heel faction suzuki goons a heel heel faction faction. bullet clubs a heel faction so really chaos chaos is good and los ingobernables is like tweeners basically but yeah they're they're they're, faces they're faces like let's be honest um they're faces that kind of do what they want has anyone else been announced for the the Empire yet? No, just Okan, Priestley, and Osprey. Oh, that's cool that Priestley's. Has she yeah. been in New Japan before? No, that was a that was a de- that was a debut. Like a yeah, I think because of the uh, Stardom deal, um, and because probably because she's in Japan and not not really doing anything else at the moment. So yeah, uh, fair. Yeah, totally. Uh, did you wait? So you didn't watch Ibushi? What do you think of oh. Ibushi losing his briefcase? Did you see that? You didn't. I did not, you didn't watch that. How do I you feel about s- that? Uh, can we? Can right before we get into that, uh, someone has been revealed for being in the Empire. The Empire today. Oh, who? To today. Wow! Right today. Yeah, yeah it says who is it? they joined November fifteenth. Oh, so it must be maybe happened on the because uh, the World Tag League and Best of Super Junior has started. Can you I haven't guess watched any of some, that yet. Somebody who's in the G One but not in a faction. Can you guess? Yoshihashi. Oh, <laughs> not wish. in a faction. I no, wish. he's they're all wait they're all in factions though, pretty much. Jeff Cobb. Oh wow, good call. He actually yeah was not aligned with any factions. That's sick, dude. Jeff Cobb, Great Ocon, and Osprey all together. Super sick. Like Jeff Cobb, that's a huge pickup. Another person who, like we said, was just absolutely killed it in the G one. Um, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, but yeah, and yeah, they no, clearly did... have some plans for Jeff Cobb since he's been winning and uh, a bit more featured than he normally normally is. Usually, he's used like Ishii, where it's like right. We'll give you a courtesy win every now and then, uh, but otherwise, I, I think just his performance take his in, in in the G one was like enough to to turn a few heads and probably get him on a good track. But uh, yeah, no, I did not see the next match: Jay White versus uh, Kota Ibushi. Nor do I care to. Nor do I care for this booking very much at all. Like, what's it the should point? not be. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, Kota wins two fucking G ones, and he doesn't get to main event. Uh, the Tokyo Dome. I mean, I know he's made eventing on night one, but again, that's the consolation prize. Like night two is clearly the night. I know he's probably going to beat Naito. Well, actually, I have no idea. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think he's going to beat Naito and then go on to fight? I think Jay he White? wins. Yeah, I think he wins both belts. I don't. I don't know. I wish they would have done. I don't. The the belts should be broken up at this point. I don't think Ibushi should be double champion. It's diminished Naito's achievement of being the first i mean he was the first double champion it can't be taken away from him but like the fact that he's already dropped it to evil won it back and now probably is going to drop it to ibushi and then ibushi will win it i think ibushi should be iwgp heavyweight champion but i think like jay white should have 
maybe challenged on the first night and won the IC title. Or if they're really trying to build up some heel heat, let him have the IWGP heavyweight title and then Ibushi wins the IC title. It's it's a weird thing. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I I don't like that they've put, booked themselves into this corner where they kind of have to have this two-night challenge. But then if Ibushi wins it that first night, then he's the double champion. So yeah, it seems like a very anti-climb. There's no way that's going to be like a really cool ending. Like yeah, it's like it's either it's his time, so he got it, whatever, or Jay White wins, and everyone's like, "Fuck this." The real, the in that case, the first night would be the real like woo night. You know what I mean? Celebrating Ibushi's champion, and then he's that's a good point. And what's going to happen? You know, it's going to be pretty close, and then. The Bullet Club's going to try to interfere, and then Coda's going to stop them from interfering, or somebody's going to stop them from interfering, and then he's going to win. And it's going to be like, oh, we averted disaster. But that's not as triumphant, you know, for, for a second night. I like Ibushi but, as a lone wolf kind of John Moxley type, but also yeah. in you saying that, maybe it would be cool to have Ibushi win on night one. And then going into night two, that is the story, is that well, Jay White is going to do everything he can to win those two belts, including using all of Bullet Club. Maybe it sets up a faction for Ibushi, and Ibushi has people help him, like stop the people in Bullet Club. Maybe Ibushi, uh, at the end of Night 2, turns heel and joins the Empire with with Will Ospreay. And they I really want Ospreay and Ibushi to feud, though, but that is a yeah. cool idea. Yeah, um, that's true. That should be the... That, in my mind, I think on a, one of our earliest episodes back when I uh, kind of very extensively broke down Naito's trajectory uh, to the IWGP double champion status, uh, suggested the future Wrestle Kingdom feud should be Ibushi Osprey. And in my mind, I think at that time, I was thinking it would be this January, but just because well, of COVID and, and stuff, that's been derailed. So I think next Well, we next talked Wrestle about it Kingdom, a lot. Uh, we talked about it a lot last episode, like because I was talking about uh, Kota as the new Okada and... Osprey is the new Omega. Totally. And the chance for them to sort of replicate that seven star glory together, I think is like very within reach. But yeah, I guess fantasy booking aside, I, if you win the G1, shouldn't you just get automatically get the title shot? Like, I don't think the contract, is I don't dumb. think you should have to defend that. Like that's yeah, so you, dumb. You've won so many matches. Why should you be able to lose it in one match? It doesn't make any sense. Like, it seems like winning the G1 should be the thing that, confirms your challenge yeah like, like in the, the royal way rumble that's what i was just gonna ask in the royal when you win the royal rumble do you you don't get a contract that you defend right no although i think maybe that's happened once but i don't remember well that's anyone. like different though if it's like a storyline challenge yes no absolutely and like i understand i understand other contracts being defended perhaps but not that one like, no, yeah, I don't. I I do too. Yeah, like Kenta's briefcase being like defended. Basically, I think uh, Meltzer might have said like Kenta basically is the interim U.S. champion right now because he keeps defending that briefcase. But Moxley's gone, so it's kind of like Kenta is the U.S. champion. Like yeah. hypothetically, if Moxley didn't go to Wrestle Kingdom and he just keeps, um, no, I guess he's not no showing. They're just not booking him because he yeah. they can't travel there. But uh, but what do you think about Jay White in that spot, like it, like main eventing night two of Wrestle Kingdom? He does great in big moments. I will say, like 
I don't know, witnessing his loss at Madison Square Garden in person against Okada was one of my favorite live wrestling moments I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's kind of predictable, but he's like the big heel. I, I think he could, him and Ibushi have such a big history that I think it could be great. Uh, I, I honestly think that'll be a really good match. Um, will it be well, how- like a Okada Osprey break the Melter Scale match? Maybe. It might be. Maybe. Storyline-wise. Well, how- how was their match here? Like, and w- what would make it that much better at Wrestle Kingdom? Their match here, I it was okay. It's weird because I was kind of like not totally engaged in this whole event since it was all rematches, basically. Uh, but like, it kind of ended early because the, there was this like uh, extensive like sort of trade off of reversals uh, where they both kept trying to hit like finishers, sort of classic New Japan setup. And then that culminates into Jay White getting a legal pin with his feet on the ropes. Interesting. And then, yeah, that's that that sets up the sort of like. Oh, so he uh, he he won it with his feet on the ropes. Yeah, he won it illegally. He put his feet on the ropes. And you're telling me that he is going to main event Wrestle Kingdom with that with that. Yes, bullshit? and see, it almost seems like it's like New Japan needs a like they don't really have like a authority figure and i know that that's like a thing that's like kind of at this point cliche and lame but it's almost like they need an authority figure to to say dude you no no. no, you cheated he won the g1 he's challenging like no way dude like it's it's weird because the whole (laughs) aew's whole thing is tony khan is not is all hands off you know Jay White's like holding the briefcase up in the air and just fucking <laughs> Shane McMahon's music hits and he walks out. No chance! Cause that just fucking shaking his Dude, he, here comes the money. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh yeah, my god, that dude. Dude, and it starts with a coin drop too. Like it's that's hilarious. It's like, dude, is it fucking, Okada? Nah, Okada it's Okada fucking beats Osprey at <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom. He's like standing there like in the middle of the ring, fucking just drained and then the fucking coin drops and, and shane's funny. doing his like hand <laughs> hand twist <laughs> dance dancing back and forth, <laughs> his who told him that was cool ever that he kept doing it oh must my god the, dude must have been uh Pete Gass <laughs> of the mean street posse that's the only person had to have been that's so right. funny dude all right so Let's... that's what set that sets that up and we don't really need to talk too much about the main event of this night naito versus evil I can't believe I watched another... That's what I wrote. The first note I wrote is, I can't believe I'm watching this match again. And I can't believe I did watch it again. You know, and... But you gave it an A-, right? You really liked it. Their best match of all of of them, I will say. Yes. In terms of, like, outside interference, LIJ was finally prepared. Like, Sonata helps Naito in this match. And he sa- he he saved the match basically. Interesting. Which is which was gr- a great moment, and uh, there was times where like, so Naito hits a double Destino in this match. That's obviously the end. Like he hits kind of like a transitional Destino, then like a full Destino. Uh, yeah. Goes for the pin, and then Dick Togo just pulls Red Shoes out of the ring completely, like. Naito got like a six count also at that point. So there it's like, well, that should have been the win. And then Yujiro and Dick Togo start fucking Naito up. Sonata comes in uh, and saves Naito finally. Uh, and then Jay White comes out. And you it 
The amount of interference in this match was absolutely insane. It's out of control to the point that Ibushi makes a save for Naito. That's so weird. So Jay White, where is this going? I don't understand where this is going. They've they've positioned evil in this in the top heel role now, and he's been like sort of trading the belt with uh, Naito. Naito, but now Jay White's back. He's main eventing Wrestle Kingdom. There's no way this doesn't involve evil in some way. I guess that's a good point. Maybe that. I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I, I'm not really sure because like one evil or Jay Jay White is the the clear leader of Bullet Club, but evil was kind of the interim leader, and you know, uh, he's is, the only one of them to hold the the belt recently. And is a part of the story. But yeah, so Jay White comes out. It looks like he's going to fight, uh, fight Evil. He's like screams in Evil's face. Uh, but then he turns around and Snapdragon's Naito. Ibushi comes out and helps Naito, which is so weird that interference is so out of control that Ibushi is helping Naito, who he is going to face. And then Ibushi chases Jay White out. Evil hits a low blow on Naito. Naito responds with a Valencia Brainbuster and a Destino, and then Naito wins. Uh, it, it's it, that sounds like a clusterfuck, John. All of the craziness was not good, but the actual wrestling up until Dick Togo interferes was actually really good, and I really enjoyed. I went into it with a low expectation of like I'm just watching this because I want to see where it's going in terms of Wrestle Kingdom implications, but I don't really care that much. And I ended up liking it way more than all their other matches. So I really feel like they shouldn't have put Jay White in the spot at Wrestle Kingdom and Wrestle Kingdom should have been Bullet Club explodes evil versus Jay White for the control of Bullet Club. That is a great story. And it could still happen. Like evil could interfere in Jay White's match, cost him the titles and, Imagine if Ibushi wins because evil interfered and like right, that's weird. But I think that could that actually could be a thing that happens on night two, where if Ibushi wins and is clearly winning, and then we see evil come out and we think, oh great, Ibushi has the win, and now here's more of this interference bullshit from Bullet Club. But then evil actually turns on Jay White, costs him the title, and then sets up Bullet Club warfare for New Beginning on the next night. I think that's where it's going. I hope so, Maybe. because I, I'm done with Evil in the main event right now. Like I, He's got to get out. He either has to start having sick matches to get rid of Dick Togo, or he needs to just become like a never-open-weight-level like wrestler. Because he's not a main event wrestler right now. You know how good of an artist you are, John? How good am I? You're so good that I have a picture of fucking Dick Togo on my wall, because it looks so fucking sick. The Evil Dick Togo poster. I like turned against naito and chose dick togo and evil and i look at it sometimes and i'm like i can't believe i got fucking dick togo on my wall you know i often think about that it's actually gato uh but i often think about that too because i it's got the switch switchblade jay white uh i'm well why the fuck's he with bucket why is he with evil is he because he was with evil for yeah there was like it would make sense for that poster for it to be Evil and Dick Togo, but uh, if you remember when he around when he won the belts, because Gato was wrestling a lot at that time in the New Japan Cup, he was with Evil a lot. But anyways, I I know what you're saying. I, I know what you're saying though, because like when I produce that poster, Evil's side is like 
way cooler than Naito's. But Evil's... And Naito's son is very cool. But it's just but Naito Evil's with a bloody like... face uh, yeah. and do- doing his taunt, whereas uh, Evil's imagery lends itself to the stuff that I draw, like spooky yeah, like skulls and sky lightning. With a li- lightning, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a sick poster. I look at it every day and think, like, I can't believe I have Evil up my wall. That's how good of an artist John is. Thanks, bro. Yeah, well, for those of you that don't have that poster, there'll be a pre-order for our next issue where uh, that poster will come with the pre-order of issue five, uh, which will probably be oh, out late, late December, early January will be when the, the, that's kind of wrapped up and completed. But uh, yeah, so that poster will be back. back. Speaking of uh, your article, yeah, uh, your uh, best first best of the first year of Dynamite article uh, is going to be a cool one to read through. It was actually best of just the first year of oh AEW in general, uh, not AEW. just Dynamite. Sorry, yes. Although I could, I could do. That. I think you should do best of like first year everything, like pay per views. So will it be? Are you are you quantifying first year as um, double or nothing May twenty nineteen to all out twenty twenty? I was gonna do. Double or nothing to right before double or nothing. Oh, well, that works too. I yeah. Mean, why would you say to all out? Is that your, cause you consider that season one of AEW? Is that why? Yeah. Cause in my mind, that's what season one of AEW is. They're online referring to it as season two also. Like I'm not no. the only one that's seeing. Yes. They refer the bucks in an interview called this time season two for AEW. So when does that officially start then? Full gear? Now, I guess. Uh, yeah, because they, 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 in an interview, talk about how, and it was pre-Darby winning the title, but they're like, in season two of AEW, we see Darby and Kenny Omega as the sort of breakout stars. I'm looking this up right now. Was that, I, I think it was in an audio, it was an audio and a typed, but uh, yeah, dude, what'd you think of Full Gear? I don't know if uh, I'm being short-sighted, but... It seemed to me like the best pay-per-view they've put on, front to back. Uh, very nearly perfect. Uh, There's one match that I think if they had just cut it out, it would have been like a perfect pay-per-view. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it was front to back just like outstanding. Dude, right from the start, Kenny Omega versus Hangman, that delivered in every possible way that you hoped it would, right? It delivered in every possible way while being a first match of the pay-per-view. You know? Like, that couldn't have gone 20 minutes. I think that was like a 15-minute match, right? Oh, good point. Yeah, I, I know that that was something that was said. I it, You know, I don't I don't specifically remember what the timestamps of a lot of the matches were, but I, re- I know I read a lot online uh, just about how people liked that the matches were shorter than they normally are. I loved that that one was shorter because it's like, there has to be a reason why like, I want to watch another match. That's what we've been complaining about. We've been complaining about like just the same matches over and over again. Now, in WWE, they tried to do like, here's an ambulance match and here's like a Hell in a Cell match as far as like Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton. You know, with, in AEW with Jon Moxley and Eddie Kingston, it becomes an I quit match, right? Because he didn't quit. So it's like, now this is an I quit match. So it's like... Yeah, there's like a story reason. There's a, out of, there's yeah, I guess sit- out of everything we're watching... Totally, AEW is doing sort of the rematch builds correctly. Well, so with this one, it's like you don't want to blow your wad on Hangman Page, or sorry, on Hangman Omega right now. You know what I mean? You don't want to give 
give away the whole everything they've got to to give. So it's like you have to kind of almost like rate it. You know what this part? You know what this is? This is like the the uh, early on in the video game where you fight the boss for the first time and you lose, and there's like no way to win because you're just under you're just under leveled. Hangman's yes, and just, yeah, and then like the cutscene plays to show you where the boss the boss is escaping to its like lair or homeland, yeah. and now you're gonna fight your way to it. Yeah, that that's that's where Hangman is at this point. He's like he's at like level thirty, but he needs to be like level ninety nine basically to to beat Kenny. Dude, that is an excellent comparison. I would think that uh, the best bout machine would absolutely love that analogy. I hope that he lis- is listening. And <laughs> you're there. Hi, Kenny. Big fan. But yeah. But yeah, dude. So I, I love that. Like, I loved that it was 15 minutes, that it wasn't like a 45 minute banger. Like, to me, it was perfect. It was like, this is just the first chapter of this of this feud that's that's still developing. I thought it was. Yeah, we're going to get the one hour match when they're fa- facing each other for the title like next year. Absolutely. 100%. So like that, that to me is so cool. Um, it's a good point, like doing more with less, because there are matches that Hangman had in Ring of Honor where he was doing moonsaults out of balconies at Hammerstein and like doing like a lot of like really big crazy moves, and I could see that happening here because it's like, well, this is the first Kenny Hangman match. We have to make it wild, and there's got to be a lot of stuff happening. But the whole match, there was a lot of strikes and a lot of uh, back and forth between the two of them, and Don Callis on commentary sold the whole thing so well uh but especially so hear... selling kenny like selling kenny so hard like so great as, to hear his voice again as the obvious winner of the match i think that was the problem it's like he went to that match and he, he didn't believe that he could win that match like everyone was like oh yeah kenny's the clear favorite and so he just he went in there with that attitude and just like got beaten yeah yeah and was hit with the one-winged angel and, you know... Tried to kick out of it. Like, was so close to kicking out of it, but but did not. Yeah. I, um... Yeah, you could tell that it wasn't one of those, like, longer matches because there weren't a lot of... Like, I predicted that um, Kenny would kick out of the buckshot lariat, but he didn't mm-hmm. actually get to hit it. Like, Kenny ducked it every time, and there was only just, like, one finisher, and, like, the match was... Dude! Over. It was, like, a very definitive ending. Yeah, Kenny ducking the buckshot lariat and hitting a v trigger. That was like, crazy. Oh my god, so good. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see more. Next match: Orange Cassidy, John Silver. Like, really good match. Uh, John Silver has been a standout in every single like Dark Order six man tag, and yeah, every time he's he's like tagging, he looks so good in the ring to the point where you got mad at how much him and uh, the other guy were um, Alex Reynolds were taking care of uh, Cody Rhodes. Oh, right. Yeah, it's true. Yes. Furious at how much offense Alex Silver or John Silver was getting. (laughs) But like, it makes sense because he's just, he's so fast Uh, and he hits. He's really good. He's so fast. And then he's got like huge muscles. Dude, he had a fucking one arm atomic press on Orange Cassidy. Yeah. His strength. Dude, I also seen a gif the other day of him uh bench pressing brian cage like in ring in a match he has so much power but then also has quickness to what he does in a way that is so impressive and yeah this was a this was an excellent 
like I would say a perfect transitional pay-per-view match. Like, yes, absolutely. Low stakes, there's sto- a story, and it was like a fun, short match. Well, because we talk about this a lot, and I think a lot of the times why they don't put on those Kenny Omega Hangman matches that are just like 15 minutes is because that's what they do on Dynamite all the time. And it's right. like, how do you distinguish Dynamite from a pay-per-view? And we've said this before, like, I thought that, I think we both thought that All Out kind of under-delivered in that department as being, like, not as good as a lot of the recent Dynamites we had just watched. So, yes, I think it's really tricky. You sort of have to save certain matches. You have to save Omega and Page to the point that we're, like, we're really kind of confused that uh, Kenny and, and uh, Mox is happening on Dynamite, but... I guess it sort of makes sense because they're not going to build that feud for three more months. But uh, anyway, moving on to uh, Darby and and Cody. Now, Cody's amazing and Darby has had some great matches. But like, you never really know. And this is uh, probably my fault. I didn't see their first match. What was it? Fight for the Fallen? Where they fought to a 30 minute? Yes, that was a standout match. I would say like, for Cody's ability to like build someone up, uh, he did, that that really sold. I would say people who were not familiar with Darby on Darby in that match, both so Darby's I, performance and Cody's what Cody did with Darby in that match. Yeah, I didn't see that match, and I know they fought one more time on Dynamite. Maybe it was a uh, in the tournament for the TNT title, possibly. But they fought at one point, and I remember it being a good match, but like nothing spectacular. So I wasn't sure about this this match going in. Like, I, w- I hoped it would be great, but I wasn't sure if they would have, like, that chemistry that, like, really makes it special. Um, I thought this was, like, absolutely star-making for Darby. Like, he already sort of is, is a breakout star in my book, but, like, this match was, like, to me just, like, absolutely solidified that, like, he could take the title off of Cody Rhodes. I sort of thought that that might happen, but I wouldn't really believe it. But, like, they really made me believe it. Do you know what I mean? I see what you're saying. Yeah, I I have felt I mean Darby is one of my favorite favorites in AEW, so I was ready totally. for him to win win that win the title and, you know, now defend defend it over the next I would think he'll probably have the TNT title for like definitely through Revolution for a while, it seems. Um but yeah, just thinking of the different people that Darby can face now and sort of his performance in this match, it was there was just such a great the contrast between Darby's chaotic, high-flying energy and then Cody's more grounded, strike-based, yeah. brawling approach, that that was so complimentary in this match. The only thing I didn't totally love, I wish that Cody would have just uh, lost at the coffin drop. He kicked out of the coffin drop, and then there was just kind of this like scramble of roll-ups for the win. This this happens a lot. I think this happens a lot in, uh, in, most, in a lot of wrestling matches now like Naito has to hit like three Destinos for the win Okada hits like four variations of a Rainmaker it's definitely a part of the style of like wrestling that exists now um but there's sometimes where I feel yeah I don't know so um, there's certain times with me like I hate to be too too tra- traditionalist a wrestling yes, fan but certain times <laughs> when I see um yeah people who are just like have quite a different size advantage. I'm just like, how are they going to sell this match to me? Like I felt that a little bit, like when Mox was going up against Brody, I was like, I feel like Mm. Brody's going to kick the fucking shit out of Mox. (laughs) When I looked at them together, but they like 
mocked his like scrappy brawling like his ability like his his willingness to do anything to like bite and scratch and like sort of i buy cody kicking out of the coffin drop because like darby's not that big that's a really good point uh yeah i'd not considered that i mean it didn't like ruin the match for me or anything like that i i uh there was just there's just been a few uh few finishes in recent memory where that's happened where it's like there's been a big big moment and big move where you're like dude that's it he won and then there's like three more minutes of like kind of scrambling and then they win and it's the right. one that the person that you want to win it's just, it's 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 uh yeah i don't know it's happened a few times but i, I yeah, guess overall this, he you you could argue in this case it's like cody protecting his ego a little bit like he didn't drop to the coffin drop and he just kind of got out wrestled for a moment you know true good point just, yeah and then the, the ending scramble i i'm loving the setup of like of uh cody and darby as a tag team against brian cage and ricky starks that's really cool I, I, I love Will Hobbs and I love that team, but he I would like to see him inserted into the story uh, a little bit more and just get a little get a little more of a sense of his personality other than just yeah. like, coming in and ripping off his shirt every time. Personally, I would love to see him rolled into Team Taz and just have Brian Cage and Will Hobbs destroy everybody. Like, I could imagine their energy being like War Machine uh, before it, they it, became the Viking Experience and started doing comedy on WWE, but uh, <laughs> yeah, playing totally. basketball with the Street Profits and like yes, getting, back getting when they ninjas. were like throwing ricochet around the ring in NXT, like that energy I could imagine Brian Cage and uh, Will Hobbs having that would be very sick. Dude, um, I love that. It, it, I I do think Team Taz could use one more like uh, big guy. When we've been waiting for a trios belts, I don't know if they'll ever happen, but uh, if there ever is trios belts dude starks and cage will need a third their tag division is so deep that the only thing they can do is just put like 15 minutes uh, 15 matches on dark every week to try to get everyone a fucking <laughs> match but if they had a trios division as well as a tag division they could have a lot more people sort of in the mix and i think it would be understood that the trios title was not like not at quite as prestigious as the tag you know like the main tag belts but um yeah, we did this in the earliest episodes, but remember when we were just putting together trios? That was back yeah, in the, yeah. That was back in the Death Triangle days, the Halcyon days. Well, um, I think it's a good that that would be a good direction just like there was there was an episode of Dynamite that had a Dark Order six-man match that felt like a New Japan opening six-man match. It right. was that Cole Cabana, I don't remember who was in it, but I just remember feeling like this is a cool way to see more, to get more people on the show and to see more wrestlers is to have a six-man tag match. And, if, yeah, if to make it for, like, a tag, belt would be cool. Put it on the fucking Jurassic Express. Put a yeah. belt on Luchasaurus, for God's sakes. Have them yes. win a tournament against the last team could be Hardy Party, uh, the, the Matt, Matt Hardy and uh, Private Party. They could lose in the finals to Jurassic Express. Yeah, it's there. It's already a tournament that could exist like that. Seems Boom. like it'll happen. Should happen like over the next year. Totally. Somebody trashed the FTW belt when it came in. They were just like, "Well, that doesn't really mean anything." So it seems cool to me. I like that there's like an unofficial, like, not AEW title that could be defended. Like, I mean, there is quite a few belts being defended now. Like the AAA. There's the Kenny has a AAA belt. It's not mentioned really anymore, but. He did have he does have it and it is mentioned sometimes and I think the only time AAA belts were defended was uh, the 
first Young Bucks. The tag. Lucha Bros tag. And that was, uh, Lucha Bros won that, right? tag teams. Yeah, they, they, they just kept it. And that was probably just to get the belts off of the Bucks. Um, but yeah, speaking of lots of belts, yeah, the NWA women's titles being defended this week on Dynamite. What did you think of Sheeta versus Nyla Rose on this this match? I won't be the first person to say that um, Serena Deeb versus... Um, Thunder Rosa? Thunder... Thunder uh, no. Who did she fight in the opener? Leela Hirsch? Was it... Yeah. Well, I won't be the first person to say that it's a little bit annoying that the uh, NWA women's belt uh, kind of has more storylines going on than the AW belt. I feel like... I love, I love to see it being defended, but it, it sucks that it's kind of taking... Even though they put that one in the pre-show, it just it it had much more build going in. And I know Cody said that not every match was going to be like the build of War and Peace or whatever. But we almost um, it's almost but... like we know because like even just Serena Deeb's story, how she was like potentially not going to wrestle anymore, and now is the yeah. champion of NWA, is throwing down sick matches in AEW. There's even just that alone. Thunder one, Rosa that's is one back story. to yeah. Thunder Rosa is going to fight, uh, and 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 she's going to redefend, which is interesting. I assumed that uh, Thunder Rosa was done with them. Then that's why they took the belt off of her. Mm-hmm. Um, but now she's sort of back in the mix. So that's interesting. Uh, I want to see them fight again. Um, yeah, AW needs to. They need to like merge those belts or something. Or that is a really good idea. Yeah, I mean, not to not to um, not that NWA should be cut out, but. There, there just there was no build to Sheeta versus Nyla really. I mean, there there was a promo on Dark that happened, and that's really it. And it just seems like Nyla was champion and lost to Sheeta. That's a story. That's a big story. And I feel like I didn't get any sense of urgency from Nyla, as someone who doesn't really watch Dark, did not see the promo that was said on Dark. But even still, like if I'm watching Dynamite, I feel like. Going into this match, I should feel like, oh my god, Nyla is going to rip apart Sheeta. She's going to get her title back, and Sheeta's done. Like you know, but that that would I didn't feel that way. I felt like I don't know who's going to win, and I don't know what the story is. Having said that, it actually was a really good match. It was a killer match, totally. Yeah, they yeah. have better chemistry than than most uh, people in, in their women's division. I would say they have very very good chemistry they're the sort of similarly to darby and cody they both have very different move sets and approaches to their wrestling and together it's very complimentary kind of vibes together in a cool way um yeah i mean yeah she she versus nyla rose it, it was not i would say not as good as their the match that she where she won uh the belts i think that was a double or nothing but yeah agreed. uh it was still an excellent match um what did you think of the tag title match? FTR versus Young Bucks, the long-awaited... Speaking of matches that don't have builds, we have been ragging on this for the last, like, two weeks. Um, I remember the moment that FTR debuted on Dynamite. We were like, this is fucking electric. Young Bucks coming out, being like, oh, hey, uh, you didn't introduce yourselves to us. Uh, that's cool. We're the Young Bucks. We've been carrying tag team wrestling on our back for years. Like, it had so much heat. They were putting off that match, but they were in matches together. They were teaming together. 
They were fighting, you know, butchering the blade. You know, fucking Dax was throwing water bottles at, at at Blade and just like pissing them off. There was just there was so much heat. And then I don't know exactly what happened. Um, Bucks just kind of went on their own journey and became heels as FTR was already heels. So yeah, we were we were deflated going into this match while at the same time knowing that it probably would be great. Um, yeah, I, I knew was, match quality was going to be excellent. I, I thought it was. I thought it was absolutely excellent. I think if they're done now, this is the stupidest thing that's ever been done. Because <laughs> this is such a a money story, and it's like uh, FTR have only been champs for like I think two months. So this can't be the end. There's got to be. There's got to be more going. But like, thank God, fucking Bucks. I didn't want Bucks to win. I wanted FTR to retain and then Bucks to eventually get that win. And FTR just to go around being like, well, I guess we are the best in the world. <laughs> we fucking beat you. Because it's more fun when the heels are doing that than when the the faces. Or I guess, you know, the Bucks are tweeners these days or whatever. But they're, they're not doing it very well. Anyway, I thought this was an amazing match. I know you probably weren't as high on it as, as me and Thomas, but... Uh, I would like to rewatch it. I like, I don't know. To me, this is, this is it really great tag team wrestling without being too, I didn't feel like it was too much of a spot fest. Like it didn't feel like the only reason why it was good was because there was like lots of crazy spots. Felt like it was just a fucking stellar wrestling match. Yeah. I felt like it was an expertly built match. I just don't think it, uh, like I, I, uh, didn't, I liked some of the throwback sort of like nods to different, uh, wrestlers like the 3D to a Swanton Bomb was really cool, and I like that each team was doing tributes to the teams that sort of made them who they were. That is a really cool way to tell a story in a match. I just think was there was cool. moments where it felt too much like okay, now we have it felt too choreographed. Like when uh, FTR did the DIY, um, like the corner taunt thing. It I don't know. It kind of it like that moment took me out of the match. Whereas like right. when the Bucks hit the 3D, like I didn't see that coming. And I was like, oh my God, did they just hit a 3D? And then he went up for a Swanton Bomb. And it's, it's like, wow, that, that was really cool to see that. It felt like a seamless sort of thing. And the same thing happened earlier with FTR and a Steiner Brothers move as well. And uh, those moments I loved, but then there was like that moment with the DIY taunt sort of took me out of the match a little bit where I was like, oh yeah, right. They, they're great match with diy like sort of made me I think, think it about might it. have taken me out more if i had known that but i didn't i didn't actually catch that yeah so those moments just kind of like 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 knocked it down a little bit for me but overall like an expertly built match great tribute to the history of tag wrestling it delivered what we wanted and i hope that we see more so it feels like there has to this is like built for a trilogy I know I'm always like talking about trilogies, <laughs> but and also I'm mad at other matches when they don't build trilogies well and just have like four or five matches together. But it feels like this is not over. Feels like they fight one more time. They fight at least two more times. Maybe FTR wins it back next time. They hot shot it, um, but it's a screwy ending. And then one more time, Bucks win it back or something like that. But it feels like. This, this can't be it. It's like they were so red hot and then it was like they put them on the back burner and then they have the match. That can't be it, right? I think it... My, fu my fucking crazy, John? I think it could be it just because 
it's very built up in all of our heads as be, it need it's like too built up like i i don't know i think there's too many other tag teams in the tag division for them to keep telling the story right now i think it could keep simmering and i think we'll i think we'll see more but i think that there might be on to other stories i was right when you guys when you and thomas were, were like oh this this jericho uh orange cassidy feud is done you're crazy, Mark. And then they had the Mimosa Mayhem oh, match. Oh, right. Yeah, well, so, and they are they're, they are dedicated to building longer. Like Darby, Cody happened like happened three times. So I do think you're right. I, just, I want it to they, happen they, more. There needs to be another promo package for this match. Like, yes. They've been, they, they wrote on a tweet like eight years ago or like five years ago, someday FTR and Young Bucks will fight. And people no, it's 2018, uh, and people will rejoice. Like you don't throw away that match, you know. No. Also, why why put the belts on the Bucks when Matt is injured? I really felt like FTR should have won that match if there wasn't that stupid Bucks stipulation, which was one of the things that pissed me off. I think the most about the build. Yes, me um, too. But yeah, I just like. I just shut up when I saw the match because I just thought the match was great. And I was like, well, clearly they know what they're doing. So hopefully this is just the beginning of like a longer story. And there's at least one more match. My hope That's would be my... that they, that we see them face off one more time, at least at revolution bucks retain again to really solidify them as the best. And then revolution ends with Kenny and the bucks as champions. Because the whole thing was they started a revolution. Like, that's what they've been saying. Cody's been saying over and over again. So if the revolution pay-per-view ends with Kenny and the Bucks all with titles, you know. Kenny, the Bucks, and Derby. That's what we've been waiting nice. for. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm down for that. Speaking of things we were not waiting for, but were very fun to watch, what did you think of the Elite Elysian match? It was fun. Uh like this pay-per-view, it was just like a little bit too long. You know, we didn't watch Talk and Shop and Mania 2, but it was like, it, I think there is definitely yeah. a place for this kind of like, it was a fun break from intense wrestling. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I agree. It was a little long. Been but... the, this should have been the like the popcorn match right before the main event. Like this should have like, mm. we had FTR and Young Bucks fucking classic. Now we watch this thing. It's sort of silly. And then we get the main event. Um, I think we will both soon be abdicating or advocating for the fact that MJF versus Chris Jericho probably shouldn't have been on the pay-per-view felt more just like a dynamite match. Yeah. It, uh, that's a great, like sort of condensed way of saying that totally. It, it did feel a lot like a dynamite match. I don't know. Yeah. The ending was good and I'm interested to see where the story goes, but I yeah. was not my favorite match that I've ever seen. No, it, it sort of uh, took the took the wind out of the sails a little bit for me. I was like, I was like, there's two more matches. Like, it feels like I'm ready for the paper. I'm ready for the main event at this point. But like I said, my my sweet spot for these pay per views are two and a half hours, which is like something I've really enjoyed from WWF pay per view or WWE pay per views in the COVID era has been their sort of two and a half hour length. So yeah, three hours and twenty, which this ended up no, this was like almost like three forty five. It was almost four hours ends. long. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a little. It was too long. Elite Deletion was fun. Like it was fun to see Hurricane and stuff. Dude, Gangrel. Um, I want a new Brood coming into AEW. Yes, absolutely. Super fun to see Gangrel. I didn't want to see this match initially because this uh, feud has been so fucking cursed. 
Um, but then once I saw this match, I was like, that's cute. That's a cute way to end it. Um, I guess cute is a weird way to talk <laughs> describe about people shooting I, fireworks at each other. Well, we're at the end, like Matt Hardy just like hits Sammy in the head with a steel chair against the concrete and like blood pools out onto and the throws ground. him into a trash can, throws him into a trash can. And then senior Benjamin drives him off. Yeah. What word would you use yeah. to describe that? Cute. Yeah, it was pretty cute. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. I actually really enjoyed them shooting Roman candles at each other. That was awesome. Um, I'm just really glad that they found a safe Bringing that slack energy to AEW. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of blood like on on the floor at the end of the Simon Guerrero. I was like, this is pretty gross. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, MJF Chris Jericho, I would have cut that. And then you go right into the... Dude, before we hop into the title. main event, I quit match. Steve. What did you think of this? How did John Moxley do as the world champion? Oh man, Eddie Kingston trying to come in here and tell tell John Moxley what to do with Tom Lynch's yard, man. John Moxley been around the block a few times, man. He's not he's not gonna take your crap. It's Eddie Kingston. He's got a mouth like the Rock, man. Steve, is Mox living up to your sort of namesake? He he kind of dressed as you on the cover of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Are you okay with that? Man, he wears the vest, man. He can wear the vest. That's what I say, you know? Some people can wear the hat. The Jew, he can wear the vest. I'm happy to hear that. Uh, dude, yeah. I quit match. I felt like it delivered. It was what we want, what I think we hoped for. I think it could have been, in, in the, we've been throughout this whole review of Full of Gear, we're talking about how we like these, like, sh- that it's been shorter. I actually felt like this match was not long enough. Um, I, it seemed like it could have get gone a little uh, got it, it, based off of what Box has been doing, what Box has been doing, and sort of the violence Eddie has brought to AEW. Mox is throwing Chris Dickinson onto concrete at Bloodsport. Seems like uh, it could have been a little longer and a little wilder, but yeah, it, it wasn't quite that like it wasn't quite that classic. It wasn't like uh, John Moxley versus Kenny Omega levels of of intensity. Which, you know, I'm, I'm I'm glad as well though because I feel like that impulse to like to ramp it up has been one of the things we've been critical of. Very true. Yeah, it's like cause people to get hurt, hurt and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm sort of glad it wasn't. It was more psychological, definitely. Like, you know, and and things I haven't seen. Like I've never seen alcohol being poured on. Oh, the guy with, dude! Like, a hundred little cuts on his back. Yeah, that was intense. Like, that was that was pretty brutal. Like. Um, yeah, the raking of the barbed yeah. wire, that was that was very, very cool visual there. And just yeah. a brutal match that I think, you know, is another... Mox has just put on so many good matches this year. You'd almost do like a best yeah. of Mox matches for the fifth issue. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, th- I, I think this was exactly like what it, what it needed to be. Um, you know, Eddie, like... I don't think he's like an amazing wrestler. He's like an amazing character and like a good wrestler and a great storyteller. So it's like he, I think he's very much like working. Like you said, he's probably not going to main event another pay-per-view, you know? So I think he like really, I think he really delivered. It kind of goes to show though how important storytelling is because that's totally, that's what Eddie Kingston is. He's a storyteller who yeah. uses wrestling to tell his stories and 
no matter what you're watching him do, you're always invested. Like, not to jump over this and talk about Dynamite, just his Dynamite, the commentary that he does on Dynamite, he does such a good job of, like, putting people over and, you know, talking about the stories that are unfolding in the ring while also progressing his own stories, even if he's not even really doing anything. Well, one thing he doesn't do, which, like, Jericho and MJF do, is he doesn't deny when he's lost. Mm. Yeah, he he's like, he gives it up to the people like, that beat him. and He's like, I, gi- I give it up to Mox, but I don't want to fucking talk about it anymore, okay? Yeah, like, you see that he's mad that he lost, and you feel that he's mad that he lost. But yeah, this was another great... Dude, Mox versus Kingston was great. Mox versus Brody Lee was great. Mox versus Cage... John Moxley has had so many good Mox matches. Mox versus MJF. Yeah, Mox versus Dickinson at Bloodsport. He's throwing down oh, this year. Dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. It is absolutely his year. Um, speaking of the dynamite, like you said, coming up, uh, or, or or the 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 fallout from Full Gear Dynamite, we had the bunkhouse match between Butcher and the Blade versus Natural Nightmares. I didn't know what this match was going to be. I didn't know what a dog collar match was. <laughs> I, I was getting really excited for the bunkhouse. And you were like, man, I don't want to like burst your bubble here, but I'm pretty sure it's just a hardcore match. Wrong, John. Wrong. There was hay. <laughs> it's a bunkhouse match, baby. I could have used like a couple of like, like hens <laughs> or like chickens, like rooting around some like s- spare eggs. But, you know, we had some hay, so it was pretty good. Yeah, this was fucking crazy, man. Like I, even QT starting to win me over. How could he not? That that was great. Like what what a cool wrestling promotion. Not that we need QT challenging for the championship, but to see someone in the mid card get this like blood feud with other mid card talent. It is talent. really cool. Like that's, it is really that was great. Cool. Like yeah, it's really cool that like Dustin kind of didn't have very many classic matches under his belt before he came to AEW. Right. And now he's got two. Yeah. Now he's got him versus Cody and and this match, which was just like so much. Wow, fun. yeah, good. That's a really good point. What like what an excellent late career legacy he's leaving. Yeah, and QT, I give him a lot of shit, but it's like it's yeah, it's cool for him that he got to participate, even if he doesn't do anything more in AEW. Like the fact they're they're on the rankings, and you know this promotion's got a long way to go. It's got they got to build up these younger talents. It takes time. You can't just like pass the torch right away. Um, Dude, the elbow drop that he threw in this match off the ladder that was super fucking cool. That was yeah. so cool. He also, hit, he also hit a great diamond cutter on uh, Butcher. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I of course love that match as Butcher and Blade. Butcher and Blade maybe are my favorite on the roster outside of like outside of maybe Moxley. Uh, I always, you know, my barometer for everyone that listens weekly is am I drawing or am I watching this pay-per-view or this wrestling match? I mean, and without question, I always watch Butcher and Blades matches. They just hit something for me as a wrestling fan. Their their style and the way they wrestle, I really like. And the dude, matches that they put on are very dude, engaging Blade, to me. Blade is fucking cut to shit, man. He was, <laughs> he's ripped up. I Yeah, they're, they're very cool... I like all these, like, um, you know, AW's a really cool place because, like, it it truly will make space for people like Blade and, like, John Silver, who are, uh, like, super strong, but, like, just, like, a little bit smaller and, like, aren't, like, you know, Vince McMahon's traditional idea of, like, 
what a professional wrestler would look like. Um, and not even, and they're not even in contention or would even be mentioned in for the TNT or the world title at the moment, both Blade and John Silver. But they're important. Yeah. They feel important as part of the roster within AEW, totally. and that is a really cool thing. Uh, it's 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 amazing. They're doing a really really good job of like building up um, everybody. I'm so glad because for me, one of the most neglected. Uh, tags in season one of AEW were the Lucha Bros. Like, obviously, they had some great stuff, like, right at the beginning, but I'm so, I was so fucking psyched to see them fight uh, in the Eliminator tournament and, like, them getting a rematch. Not just a rematch, but, like, the main event. I don't know why this felt so cool to me, but just felt really cool that they were main eventing Dynamite. Did you feel that way? Oh, yeah. Sorry, we were talking about Butcher and Blade, so I didn't know. Uh, yeah, Sorry, yeah. I, like, I, I was talking about that Lucha Bros were very like under. Got it. Yes. Yes. So yes. it was like really cool to see them back in like the, I love uh, that the they were very much. Yeah. That mix. they were like that. Cause that, that is a big story to have the two brothers who are a tag team fighting each other. So it didn't just get slotted at a random place. And it was maybe the most important story of the night. Cause it led to pack returning, which is so Absolutely. exciting. And then again, building up sort of the mid card blade and pack are facing each other this week on dynamite that's going to be an excellent match that's i love the idea of this slow burn of pack just like moving his way through everyone in eddie kingston's faction yeah i hope we see him face one-on-one -on -one against each of them that would be really cool i wonder if he's going to face the the lucha bros like if he's going to try to bring them back into into the fold um, of the death triangle yeah i don't know of the, of the death triangle that but that's so cool that that that's something that's that's going on that they really paid that off by bringing pack back similar to you know uh jay white coming back being like oh what the fuck are you doing here evil but they <laughs> didn't really they didn't really do that but um it was cool to see these two fight again because i know that uh fenix got injured in their first right match. yeah so who knows if it like finished the way they wanted it to so the fact they were able to do it again main event the pay-per-view and this was just like such a fucking brutal match and you could tell it was brutal because they both ripped off half of each other's masks, which yeah. is like, I, I've seen Fanex before. Like I've seen his little, he kind of like, he's just kind of like a, yeah, he looks like a little ball baby a little bit, <laughs> but uh, I've never seen Penta's face before. This was really, it was an I intense felt, match. It shocking. Yeah. And any on commentary, just being like, I read a really cool analysis that it was like, um, Eddie is like John Moxley's brother right mm. and he he couldn't beat his brother and he's so pissed off so he's taking it off taking it out on his own family by making these two making brothers two brothers sort face of each other that's cool yeah face each other and ju not just face each other but like rip each other's masks off and try to humiliate each other mm. you know mm -hmm. yeah it's uh it's, it's low down it, yeah this match with like with eddie on commentary and with these two like yeah like just like beating the shit out of each other package pile driver on the apron Canadian destroyer on the outside like yeah fucking cool great to see penta win too so happy to see them both penta. featured yeah penta was one of the people going into aew before before dynamite existed but really before we knew they were going to have a weekly tv show where i was like i cannot wait for this person to be world champion of aew so i like that we're starting to see the two of them kind of break away from being a tag team aew's tag roster is so stacked that you know, as great as the Lucha Bros are as a tag team, I think that they would benefit from having Penta 
be a heel and Phoenix be a face, and then you know they kind of tear apart the singles division together. Maybe eventually well, leading like, to Penta or Phoenix getting one of the either the world or the TNT title. Maybe do a champion versus champion match, something like that. Yeah, well, to me, it's like if you have the Lucha Bros and they're not like in contention for the tag team titles, it's just weird. So it's like if you're not going to put them in the in the title scene, which I think this is an unfortunate moment for them to break up because I would love to see them feud with the Bucks. Yeah, for their titles that's perfect, and have. And have the Bucks win this time, basically. We might. Um, that might be what's ha- that might be incoming. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We don't know. But but I 100% agree with you that they're so strong as singles wrestlers. It's almost like they're like an embarrassment of riches as a tag team. Like. Yes. Yeah. It would be but, like if Ibushi and Tanahashi, rather than being a tag team after being singles wrestlers, were a tag team and they stayed a tag team instead of becoming singles wrestlers. Uh, similar little, sort of talent. Like. Or like Alistair Black and Ricochet. As a right, team. yes. Like, it's cool to see them together, but we, yeah, break them apart and let them run wild as singles wrestlers. Absolutely. But yeah, really cool. It was a, it was a really good Dynamite, actually, altogether. Uh, Shaq has been introduced as a person <laughs> who will be fighting Cody, so... I'm excited uh, to see where that goes. I you know, I can't... I don't... I don't dislike it, and I don't love it. It's fine. Like, I understand it, I guess. Yeah, if it'll bring more eyes on the program, like, that's fine. Uh, I honestly pr- much prefer that to uh, Mike Tyson fighting Chris Jericho. That just sounds like a fucking car crash. Well, and so. just, like, considering, like, thinking about it, if Shaq is paired up with another, like, someone who's a good wrestler, like, imagine someone setting, like, Cody up in the corner for Shaq to throw down, like, a huge chop. I think that that would be fine. Like, it would, it, oh. like, that'll be a cool moment. And... Yeah, like you said, it, it, the intention of it is to get more people to watch AEW. And it's like, I'm here to see Shaq in a wrestling match. And now I get to see something like FTR versus the Bucks, which I've never seen before because I'm a casual wrestling fan watching because I seen I have seen that Shaq is going to be on here. So, yeah, I don't know. I think, it I, I think it's a good feels like smart an old move. School, it feels like Hulk Hogan fighting like Mr. T or something like that. It feels like the early days of like, WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I... I, I I do like it. I think I think it could be fun, and uh, I hope that he also has like a haunted crew, like Mike Tyson <laughs> did. Shaq and his we, ghouls. I, we, we never got Mike Tyson's House of Horrors, and that is the, like, <laughs> the greatest, my greatest regret on this earth. Um, should we go into our our classic pay per view? You and I watched Survivor Series 1998, The Deadly Game, which happened on November 15th. 1998, and I do think the year here is important to mention. Uh, unlike the G1 it episode is. where we perpetually, I perpetually <laughs> mentioned so that it was in it was 2020. 2020, yeah. Uh, I agree. 21,000 in attendance uh, of this event. Survivor Series is so, incoming this month. We will be watching it uh, in the year 2020. If I'm not mistaken, this is the only Survivor Series that has a tournament an elimination style tournament as part of the survivor series. I believe this is the only one that is like that subtitled the deadly game. Yeah. It's almost like a King uh, of the ring. Like I, like, yes. uh, yeah, I it very much is a King of the ring kind of almost forgot that it's survivor series because it's singles matches. Um, yeah. Uh, I also loved at the beginning where it was like Nestle presents the deadly game. I don't know why, but that like, to me, that was absolutely hilarious. Um, but, um, <laughs> 
I just assumed it was like a quarterfinal, semifinal tournament. But no, there is like a first round in this. And obviously, like, there's some buys and there's some, like, sketchy wins and stuff like that. But, like, why do you have so many matches on this card? Like, it just, to me, just like, it, you know what it felt like? It felt like an episode of Dark. It just That's like the funny. matches yeah. and just like another match would start. Um Yeah. I think that's a good comparison. I, honestly, I, I found like I, I really enjoyed when we watched SummerSlam ninety eight mm-hmm. and I expected a little bit more from this pay per view, but I found this to be mostly a slog. Um and pretty much like a one match card. Like the only it felt like there was only one match that was longer than like five minutes. Um, yes, the wrestling the, the throughout movie. was not good. Um, and yet match match quality it, it, was awful, but you got to love a pay-per-view that builds a story and tells a story from beginning to end. I absolutely, regardless of absolutely. the match quality, I wish, I hope, and I think AEW probably will do something like that eventually. I think that they would excel at something like that, where there's a yeah. concept and story from start to finish that's told within the show itself. So basically Vince McMahon is watching behind the scenes of every match and he's got like a couple horses in in the race. One of which is the big boss man who if he's not going to win, he is just going to fuck up everybody (laughs) that Vince does not want to win. So he's in a match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. He gets eliminated right away just by beating the absolute shit out of Stone Cold, but doesn't care. He's just like there is an agent of chaos. I think this doesn't really work. Um, later in the pay-per-view because he just keeps failing from that mm. point on. That's like the that's the only time that he did something good. Otherwise, he just like comes and like throws the nightstick and then Rocky catches it and like nails Shamrock in absolutely an amazing catch. This moment. That moment was incredible. Yes. Yeah. But um, Rock intercepting that, obviously... the nightstick. Oh, dude. Yeah. Is the so crowd good. so hyped that that happened? And, uh, yeah, so, like, Vince McMahon basically wants either uh, Mankind or who's his other who's his other person who, who, he, who he wanted to win? Maybe The Undertaker? He feels like he could make a deal with The Undertaker. But he absolutely did not want Stone Cold to win. He kind of, he kind Rock... of positioned Undertaker and Kane to eventually one of them face Stone Cold, so Stone Cold would have... Uh a hard match later, but that, that was kind of, yeah, it's like kind of tangential related. Mankind was really his like, like, yeah, he, that was the person that Vince was kind of manipulating and pushing towards the win all the way from the beginning, which we get the first appearance of Gilberg on. <laughs> Man, uh, st- uh, Mr. McMahon comes out right at the start of the pay-per-view WCW and then introduces Gilberg. Yeah, that was a, that was a nice squash. Uh, I didn't realize it was Kevin Kelly interviewing Sable. That's so funny. Yeah, funny to see. And I and I remember I remember when I first heard Kevin Kelly's voice on New Japan, being excited because I remember watching as a kid old VHS tapes that showed backstage interviews with Kevin Kelly, and like kind of just being taken back to that moment. And Kevin Kelly is such an incredible broadcaster that it's cool that he's involved in New Japan, considering his history within wrestling. Uh, the second match that happened on this 
night. Double J versus Al Snow in a gimmick versus gimmick match. Head versus guitar. I love how you have. I love how you have with head <laughs> in the match notes. Al Snow with head. But dude, yeah, it was like super fun to see Al Snow because like you constantly bring him up as someone you are interested in. And uh-huh. He was not someone I was interested in really at all. Although he was fun in like the hardcore matches and stuff, and kind of helped make that division. But uh, this didn't really have the time to be that good, unfortunately. No, and it could have been because we know a Double J and Al Snow, you know, have are both good wrestlers. Yeah. yeah, incredible backgrounds in wrestling, and really, you see moments where if they were unleashed, it could be great. But yeah, it but kind it's of... like there's like. 15 matches on this card like it's like let's get this match over and done with <laughs> it ends before it basically. even begins basically double j yeah. hits al snow with head uh and snow fires back for a three count and yeah wins big boss man versus stone cold steve austin this big was one boss of my man. favorite matches of the whole pay-per-view i think is an expert uh example of heel and face dynamics in a match and building heat for someone the crowd is so... It's their first glimpse of Stone Cold Steve Austin on this pay-per-view. So they're... The crowd are wired this entire pay-per-view. It's amazing how many eyes were on the program like, at yeah. this point. And they're so excited to see Stone Cold. Boss Man is using heel tactics. He he is clearly kind of being positioned to win. Like Stone Cold's almost like an underdog in this match, even though he's the crowd favorite and he is uh, kind of destroying Boss Man at the start. Uh yeah, there's like the, where he first hits the Luthez press and starts pummeling Bossman. The crowd just comes on glued, like they just seen their favorite That's like team won a pay per view or won a World Series or something. One of the coolest moves. It's almost like like that's the uh, equivalent of like when Kramer comes in for the first time in the <laughs> episode, and the whole cloud just like claps. That's his like that's his big moment. Um, yeah, it it this also like could have like to me could have been kind of cool but it was like then just bossman beat him up it was cool watching mcmahon like he keeps cutting to mcmahon just like being flanked by pat patterson and gerald briscoe and just being like oh this y'all oh, he's not gonna win this mr mcmahon <laughs> like oh bossman is gonna take care of him mr mcmahon and then bossman yeah kind of degenerates into disqualification win for stone cold where big boss man pummels stone cold with a nightstick and leaves him on in a ball on the ground. Uh, yeah, it's that's the last we've seen of him, I'm sure. Yeah, not quite, <laughs> dude. Uh, the next match features a real man's man, Stephen Regal. He's a real man's man. <laughs> he's a man's man. He's a real man. This is I find such a weird character. Maybe just because I knew Stephen Regal from like. You know, Commissioner Regal, sort of like. Oh, do you mean commission? Like, like you knew like Regal as more of a manager I, I, than a wrestler? No, I just knew him like as the more stiff upper lip, mm. like sn- snooty Regal. So it's fun to see him as like a real man's man, like wearing like flannel. Yeah, like, I am used to him wearing suits uh, and stuff. Um, man, Xbox entrance is so good. Dude, I was hyped for this match. I I didn't look at the card before I watched this. So as soon as Xbox, Xbox Music hit, I'm engaged. I stopped drawing. And then I didn't know. I didn't remember this gimmick for Steven Regal, the real man's man. 
but then was hyped to see that it was Steven Regal facing X-Pac. And this is another match that really delivered in moments, you know, X-Pac spinning heel kick. One of the coolest strikes in all of history is the spinning heel kick. And we have mentioned quite a few times, why don't more people do it? Matt Seidel does do a spinning heel kick. Uh, he threw a sick one down yeah, that's on, right. on Brian Cage. Big uh, which, shout out to which Matt Which was another Seidel really good match. Yes. That was a really good match. We I love seeing those it, two together. That was an excellent but... opener. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But this was great. This match was great. Um, again, another one that's, it's, there's so many, so many matches on the card, so it can't really go anywhere. If this one was great, it's like, we're go, we're going, the, the last match is going to be spectacular because I did not enjoy, um, this, this like section was a little bit of a slog for me. The first time I really perked up was Shamrock versus Goldust. Oh, really? Yeah, this was the high. I would say the high point for me was Bossman, Stone Cold, X Pac, Steven Regal, and Shamrock versus Goldust. Those were three the three that I like. I was the most I, engaged. And as it funny. went on, I was like, I kind of lost interest by the last match. Funny. For me, it was Rock, Shamrock, uh, Stone Cold Mankind, and yeah, Rock Undertaker. I really enjoyed those matches. I can't believe how many so, matches are on this card. Uh, so many matches. They're, they're so short. Like, this is not... This is a story-driven pay-per-view. It's not a match-quality-driven pay-per-view. It's like this story of, like, is is Mankind going to win? And it was very interesting. I, I'm really enjoying watching these just to see these moments where... Uh, I don't want to skip ahead, but I, I'm about to. Rock wins this thing. And Absolutely. And wins his first yeah. championship. Yeah. Uh, I, I forgot how Rock won his first championship, and I forgot... This is interesting because he's he's a face at this point, but he was a heel before. This is like when he's just breaking away from the Nation of Domination, right? Right, yes. Because yeah. like, they were they were heels, but he was started getting face energy. So he's getting cheered, and then he turns heel at the end of this pay-per-view, and basically um, McMahon reveals that Mankind was just a patsy and that Rock was the actual person they wanted to win. Um, well, and then speaking of them wanting Rock to win, Triple H was positioned against The Rock, but Triple H is a no-show and then replaced by Big Boss Man. What a great quick match moment here. Boss Man comes out and then Rock rolls him up for an inside cradle. One, two, three, he wins. And the crowd just goes crazy. It, I loved that moment. Like, I don't know. Yeah, then that to me, like the heat that they built up for Boss Man with Stone Cold the crowd was so ready to hate Big Boss Man. Yeah. And then he comes out. I felt like that. And no one wanted to see that match either. No no one wanted to see The Rock and Boss Man fight each other. Right. Yeah. So to have that happen that way, I just felt like that was a really smart way to build up heat for a heel, to make the crowd hate someone, and then to also get the crowd hooked on Rock and kind of really like pushing The Rock forward in these like little ways it's just interesting to see WWE back then building sort of a logical card where no one, I felt like no one in this was really embarrassed, you know, right. like there yeah. was like Goldust and Ken Shamrock had a hard hitting match that, you know, wasn't long, but was fun to watch. Regal and yeah, X-Pac I... similarly had a good heel face wrestling match. And a little bit in the crowd there. 
Yeah. The only people who I felt like really did not acquit themselves was Undertaker and Kane. Like, that felt like such a boring match. I didn't like that match at all. Yeah. Undertaker versus Kane, which was the next match uh, after Rock gets that quick inside cradle. They just, like, punch each other the whole time. But, and, you know, I, I, I mean, that's like their move set is a lot of their strikes are kind of the focus, but just to watch them walk around and do sort of WWE style punches against each other. It's like, it's like we said, a lot of the boring. best matchups are the ones where there's a clash of styles, right? Yeah. Like Undertaker's best opponent is Shawn Michaels and they're not, they're nothing you know, they're alike. Not similar. No. It's um, like punches so. up until Kane throws down a choke slam. And then Undertaker responds to that choke slam with a tombstone, and then the match is over. But it was long. But again, it, it felt like in this pay per view, the matches were incidental. Like the best moment was Undertaker coming out. Yeah, I was hyped. Uh, that that was the thing that I enjoyed the most in that was seeing Kane and Undertaker's entrances at that time. I wanted to get your your feelings on this because I feel like this maybe is my favorite undertaker like era i agree absolutely like you know obviously he was an old-timey undertaker and then he was an old-time undertaker but with purple gloves and then he was i don't know really what he was like like after that like for when he was like in the main event of wrestlemania 13 mm. or not in the main event but fighting diesel or whatever right uh, or sid i i don't really know what he was but he got kind of a reinvention during this like uh what was it called the um the ministry ministry, ministry of, darkness. of darkness yeah yes and he gets that sick like theme like his his theme is sick yeah he seem he's like he's very scary like he's actually seems scary here yeah less cartoon ghoul and more this person is like embodying some dark spirit from somewhere. I feel like he's keyed into yeah. that sort of energy in this era. I abs- I agree, yeah. Um, How do they not have Aleister Black doing this right now? It just is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, instead we... I forget the name of... Wow, I can't... What, what's T-Bar's faction called? <laughs> I can't think of their name right now. Resistance? Uh, I want to say, say Redemption. Uh revolution what is it called retaliation no that was mercedes Martinez. uh i can't believe we forgot I, this already yeah i don't remember what is it called <laughs> i don't know i just T-bar, googled wwe uh, t-bar faction and it, nothing has come up i'm just gonna put t slapjack oh yeah it's is that actually the name of a ca- retribution retribution <laughs> Good lord. Yeah, instead of Alistair Black's Ministry of Darkness, you get Slapjack, T-Bar, and Retribution, and you will like it, Mark. I will not. Thank you so much. Yeah, we won't, because we um, have not watched that in a minute. Then we get, Dude, Mankind versus Al Snow, I was hyped to see this setup just because of their friendship and history, and the two of them both being hardcore icons. It's cool, cool to see. The match itself was kind of skippable. Sako for the win. And then we come to one of... Your supposed favorite matches of the night, uh, Rock versus Ken Shamrock. I thought this was super cool. There's just certain matchups in this evening that I 
was 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 sort of psyched to see how they would gel together. Mm-hmm. These guys gel together great. It's easy to see why Rock recently inducted Shamrock into the Impact Hall of Fame. Oh uh, yeah, that's interesting. That's Shamrock, a good point. I yeah, I did not consider that during this match. I kind of forgot that that happened. Uh, Shamrock yeah. asked him, and Rock immediately said yes, and talked about how Shamrock was like very like helpful to him, like when he worked for WWE and like their matches were really great. Like he was just like a good worker and just like, yeah, I help. So I, 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 I thought about that when I was watching this and they, they do have, I, I thought really good chemistry together. Absolutely. Yeah. And you got to think like, at this point, you know, Ken Shamrock has his, the work he's done in Pancrase at this point, you know, happened prior to this moment. So it's cool to think that like, he's bringing that into WWE not something that we obviously were aware of as kids. I mean, we knew he yeah. was a cage fighter, but you know, not specifically like yeah. he was over in Japan cage fighting Minoru Suzuki, uh, or you know. But he's the only one you see like hitting those cool reversals, like. Um, True. You know, like That's rever- a good point. Reverse a move into like uh, into the ankle lock. I had totally forgotten that he was the ankle lock guy before Kurt Angle was. Such a simple submission, but like so great. It's one of the reasons why I think I never liked Kurt Angle as a kid. Because it seemed to me, as in my kid brain at least, like Ken Shamrock is the ankle lock guy. That's like his thing. It's lame that this new like dork has come in and is trying to be like Ken Shamrock, but lacks his intensity. But Kurt Angle doesn't use... Kurt, <laughs> Kurt Angle doesn't use the ankle lock. He uses the angle lock. <laughs> I fucked that up by calling him Kurt Ankle a second ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kurt Ankle uses the angle lock. Uh, yeah, this match was great. I love seeing Ken Shamrock against The Rock. And, you know, it's... The two of them, it's very hard It's very hard to mess that matchup up, even if it is just a like, less than 10-minute bout. It oh. was great. Rock hitting, you know, all the moves you hoped he'd hit. Big DDT, people's elbow. Ken Shamrock getting in a lot of offense as well, wrenching a huge ankle lock that Rocky gets a rope break on, and a lot Rocky's of he's like one of the people. He's like Shawn Michaels. You want to see him in a submission hold. Yeah, he just is such a good seller. So yeah, it was super cool watching himself for for Shamrock, and Shamrock just got that absolute mad dog intensity when he's like wrenching a submission hold and he's like screaming, he's like, ah! <laughs> like he just looks he looks deranged, you know. So. Yeah, I yeah I really enjoyed this matchup. Sable versus Jacqueline uh, was actually a match which I wasn't expecting. No, neither was I. I, expect, I this is the second time we've seen bullshit. we've watched a Sable match where it's been in like, wow, there's some cool wrestling happening. Yeah, wasn't wasn't a work rate work rate classic uh, by any means. What do you mean? What um, about when Sable hit a rainmaker on Jacqueline? <laughs> Man, the zoom in on that was fucking tight. Dude, the Death Valley um, driver she threw down. Um, but man, it, but I, no, but I in loved, seriousness though, the TKO that she threw, throws down like right at the start, very TKO sick. TKO was move. really good. She fucking sable bombs Mark Marrow outside the ring. That was that awesome. was awesome. Yeah, this was a great short. Like it was very short and seems like probably could have been longer, but also not. It wasn't a part of the bigger story in, that was happening. So it makes sense that it was kind of just placed where it was and it was a quick sort of breather from the longer story that's happening to get uh, the woman's title match on the card. Um, yeah, Jacqueline so. goes for a tornado DDT and reverses it and throws her across the ring in like a very uh, 
the spot felt dangerous in a cool in a good way like a, in like a it was controlled but intense and then sable hits a sable bomb for the win uh yeah at this moment between SummerSlam 1998 and survivor series 1998 sable seems to be well booked i agree like this based off the two matches we have watched uh she's wrestled quite a bit yeah the coolest matchup for me honestly was stone cold versus mankind because i don't think of them fighting in my head Mm. i'm sure they have in other matches but like i think of mankind getting really big in that void created by stone cold because stone cold was gone rock became number one and like rock was like feuding with mankind and stuff so it was it was fun to see them fighting it felt like yeah it felt like i was again like playing no mercy or something like that yeah oh wow man yes that's what this whole pay-per-view is basically (laughs) it is Uh, very much yeah Um, it was that's a good point yeah and well and you know you there maybe it's also that there isn't like that classic memorable match between the two of them right in the way that like mankind and rock there's the i quit match mankind undertaker hell in a cell stone cold and rock have had their matches stone cold Um, and undertaker have had their matches yeah no absolutely absolutely yeah that's a good point there isn't would have been that that in a fantasy world where it will never happen if we could have a time machine uh cactus jack versus stone cold would have been a great like brawler match the texas rattlesnake versus cactus jack like how did that not ever happen fuck man it's interesting yeah it's a it's a void in the attitude era because even like you know cactus jack versus triple h they had their create their wild cell match yeah um but yeah the texas rattlesnake versus cactus jack seems like a feud like it's written um but we never got that uh mankind gets the w here in a lot of uh a lot of shenanigans everything but dick togo basically (laughs) we saw shane mcmahon earlier as a ref and i was like man shane mcmahon was really like low in his dad's esteem at this point he's like a fucking ref um but little did i know that that was just a setup later that he would then come out to count the three fall for stone cold and refuse to actually count the three gives him the uh the double fu double bird double flips the double bird and then uh gerald briscoe everyone's favorite wrestler comes out to hit stone cold with a chair shot that was very unconvincing. So. This is a very, very weak chair shot. I mean, it's great because it obviously did not cause any brain damage to Steve. But, uh, you know, Stone Cold, what did you think of that chair shot Briscoe threw? Um, <laughs> oh, man, can you believe I didn't I did do the job for that one? For that one. <laughs> I had to do the job after that chair shot. Come on, man. Man, God, I had to buy me a six-pack after that, let me tell you. <laughs> Then they had the Bronco chase after this, basically, where like Stone oh Cold, yeah yeah Stone Cold Grand Theft Auto's a vehicle, and uh, chases after. This was like, again, the match quality was not super high on a lot of these, but it was a really fun story like throughout the pay per view. Um, yeah, the uh, penultimate tournament match, Rock versus Undertaker. This is the point that I kind of started to let the last the, this match. I mean, after all of that interference and sort of the sad chair shot and chasing, I kind of started to tune out a little bit. So I was not totally engaged in this match. I mean, watching the two, the Rock and the Undertaker 
face off against each other, it's kind of hard to uh, not be engaged, but the whole match was basically just a brawl. Which, to what you were saying earlier, their strikes are close to unparalleled. But, I don't know. I At this point, I was not that interested in either of the two of them. I thought this was one of the better matches mm. on the card. But I didn't like Big Boss Man coming out. Like He was not intimidating by this point. Uh, but, I don't know. I just enjoyed these two in the ring together. And I just started to get swept up by this, just the whole story of the pay-per-view, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. It's funny how you tuned out and I tuned in, but I also, again, did watch it in parts. So I think I was watching this on Saturday morning mm. and it felt like a fun time to be watching it. Um, yeah, I watched it straight through and was all in at the start because I was excited to see like Al Snow and Double J and X-Pac and Steven Regal and The Rock and The Undertaker. But yeah, it's just, I think maybe just, yeah, getting burned out by the fact that these matches were just in service of the story versus being There's good too matches. too many fucking matches, and there was not a single one that I would be like, you should go and watch that right now. Um, although Mankind and the, and the Rock was was fun at the end. I did not like the New Age Outlaws versus Headbangers versus D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry. That was just like, felt like complete filler. They just didn't I mean, it, it, was, it was definitely filler just to get the tag match. I thought it was good. I thought it was chaotic, but good. Thought he, each person, each team felt featured. Billy Gunn looks exactly the same as he does today. Uh, <laughs> Big time. Road but... Dog has the crowd so fucking wired. I forgot when people were like insane for Road Dog. That just yeah. like, blows my mind. Mm-hmm. So funny. And then the final match of the pay-per-view, Mankind versus The Rock. Uh, JR calls early, thought we wouldn't have a Montreal revisited with this uh ending here and he's talking about it being like screwy like a screwy finish yeah Uh, and again there's a lot of brawling at the start of this and it's not that i'm like anti-brawling and wrestling matches but i think just with the fact that there's so many matches and so much of it just does feel in service of a greater story that it just all kind i just got good fatigued at the start of this uh when the rock hits a suplex on mankind on the outside it starts to pick up and at that point i was like okay here we go yeah the, uh, it, it was kind of a slow slow builder uh of a match yeah it had some some good moments uh, some some tables got destroyed there was some nice brawling outside the ring not a not a classic it, it felt there was fine. a great there's a great uh steel stairs versus chair battle where with right. rock and mankind uh and which ends with mankind getting hit in the head with a chair very hard to see um but yeah i agree like some really really excellent like wild spots with mick jumping off of the apron falling through the table and then you know rock getting the upper hand quite a few times not a classic match, but a fun match. I would say overall, the pay-per-view itself was fun to watch. It actually probably would have been more f- if we lived in the same place. This seems like a fun pay-per-view to watch all in one sitting with like other people. Yes, I agree. It's like the kind of pay-per-view you don't need to pay attention to every moment. You can just kind of enjoy being swept exactly. along by the story. Um, but it like for me, the slog was that there was no like really... I didn't think there was any like really good matches. Like even the ones that were decent just weren't very long. So it's amazing to see like how into wrestling people were, even when the wrestling was like incidental. And maybe yeah, the the match quality wasn't. 
yeah, the match quality wasn't the focus. People were just excited to see Stone Cold hit a stunner, The Rock hit a people's elbow, Mankind pull out Sako, The Undertaker do an entrance. Really is, like, at this time, those are the things that matter to the crowd, it seems. Yeah, well, it's, uh, like, that, you it's know, like they want to see Stone Cold win. He had the title. I don't know how they got it off of him, but it got yeah, vacated. I don't know either. Uh, it got it got oh I got vacated because um, I think he was beaten by like three people and then mm. they were supposed to he got beaten by Kane Undertaker and somebody else and yeah the title the title got vacated because they couldn't decide who was gonna win it and then uh, Undertaker and Kane fought at Judgment Day to a no contest I don't know if Stone Cold Stone Cold interfered so they decided to do this tournament to like crown it and this is the beginning of the build to wrestlemania 15 the next major pay-per-view we basically skipped to in your houses the next major pay-per-view after this is royal rumble Ooh. so uh that would be a very very fun one to watch i i would be i would definitely be into watching another one of these 98 ones continuing mm -hmm. on here and seeing if the match quality sort of improves when there's not like a hundred matches on this where they're not telling a story throughout it mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and just like actually we're putting on good matches. But yeah, it was... Yeah, uh, ultimately Rock wins with the Rock Bottom. Uh, Vince says ring the bell and, you know... No, puts him, puts him in the sharpshooter. Oh, right, Mankind right, right. kicks out of that. He puts him in the sharpshooter. Vince immediately calls for the bell to like redo the Montreal screw job, even though like... Wait a minute, and JR, I didn't, you know, it's funny because I was kind of fatigued by the end. So I was like, okay, it's over now. Rock has won. Yeah. That... JR hinted that that was going to happen on commentary. He did. Yeah. Of the match. I mean, I pointed that out, but I, I'm not, I just am now making the connection though. Well, that, it like, was, it was only one year before that it happened. Oh, right. Wow. In my mind, when he said that, that was like years had happened years before. Which is why this is fun to watch as a historical document, because like, we're not very far out from, uh, Bret Hart's, uh, Stone Cold at like WrestleMania. Like, yeah. we're not far out from Mike Tyson, Shawn Michaels versus Stone Cold. Actually, no, we are far out from Bret Hart. That was after. That yeah. was that was before. We, we're, we're not very far from, from 14, basically. So Shawn Michaels was here not very long ago. Right. Um, yes. And, Same and year. Yeah. 98 yeah. was a big year for WWE. Huge year. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, 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 to watch some of this. Completely unrelated to WWE. I guess maybe tangentially related to WWE. And to our discussion earlier, uh, you watched this week Kota Ibushi versus AJ Styles G1 Climax 25 for the classic match review. What did you think of this match? It's interesting to see AJ Styles as a cool heel. Do you know how good of a wrestler AJ Styles is, John? How good of a wrestler is he? He's so good a wrestler that I still, like in my head, think of him as I used to think of wrestlers, like when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, like when I saw AJ Styles, I'd be like, oh my God, man, like what else going on? And that dude, dude totally. thinks the earth is flat. <laughs> that dude is just the like earth is a, flat. Leave AJ alone. <laughs> dude's just like a dummy. And I still think he's the coolest. You got to be a pretty good fucking wrestler to uh, do that. Yeah, I would be hyped to see him on the street. Totally. Oh, yeah. I joke about how young Coda seems, but he looks positively like a teenager in this match <laughs> he looks like the coda who is like in the njpw manga that thomas is reading <laughs> this match is a nail biter 
AJ Styles leads the early on, putting the younger Kota in headlocks and using his strength as an advantage. But these two are constantly anticipating and reversing each other's moves. AJ's on the outside. Kota attempts to dive over the ropes. But as he does that, AJ rolls back in, leaving Kota to land on his feet. Then AJ goes over the ropes. But sensing Kota has fled, jumps and lands on the apron. But he's immediately greeted by a sharp kick to the shins by Kota. This is basically the tone of this entire match. Kota punishes a weakened Styles in the corner, landing several sharp kicks to his chest. AJ tries to counter, flipping behind Kota, but the younger star is one step ahead of him. Even as AJ manages to hit the ropes, he's immediately grounded by a huge drop kick from Ibushi. But soon AJ is back to his feet, landing some sickening chops with his leather gloves. He flips Kota onto the apron, who attempts to climb the ropes only to be scooped up by AJ, who drops him neck first onto the ropes, leaving Kota prone on the outside. AJ exits the ring and begins to stalk his prey, repaying the kicks to the chest he suffered before, before hitting a Uranagi slam on Kota straight onto the steel barricade, basically rock bottoms him onto the steel barricade. AJ begins to work on Kota, hitting a backbreaker and wearing Ibushi down with a headlock knee to the back combination. Ibushi throws a huge forearm which is blocked by Styles, who reverses it into a German suplex position, only to have Kota reach out through his own legs to pull the feet right out under AJ. But before he can capitalize on it, AJ throws his legs up and lands a Hurricane Rana. It's just back and forth this entire match. A backflip off the middle rope is avoided by Kota, who manages a standing switch and a German suplex. Styles tries to take back control, but is grounded by more knife-edge kicks from Ibushi, who then follows it up with a standing corkscrew backflip that absolutely defies reason. But Styles is not out and continues to reverse Ibushi. Finding himself on the apron once again, he flattens Kota with a stiff clothesline and hits the top rope for a successful phenomenal forearm that Kota just watches coming to him. AJ is in control once again of this back and forth bout, but cannot quite lock in the Styles Clash. Kota lifts him onto the apron and incapacitates him with a kick to the head. Kota then stands onto the second rope and attempts to deadlift German AJ back into the ring. However, AJ resists and pulls Kota into position for a tombstone on the apron, which certainly would be the end for Mabushi. But once again, Ibushi manages to wrap his legs around AJ's neck and hurricane run him onto the ground. Before AJ gets up, Kota bounds onto the top turnbuckle and hits a soaring moonsault to the outside. Back inside the ring, both men are absolutely exhausted. AJ knocks Kota off the top turnbuckle before climbing up himself. He pulls up the staggered Kota, who begins to punch him in the midsection, stunning the phenomenal one. Sensing an opportunity, Kota leaps up onto the top rope next to AJ and goes to hit his classic Hurricane Rana, but AJ pushes him away midair, leaving him to flip all by himself. Kota lands awkwardly and recovers quickly, running towards Styles, who jumps off and hits his own Hurricane Rana on Ibushi. Kota tries to push Styles through for his own pin, but Styles jump up and grabs the prone Ibushi, setting him up for the Styles Clash. But Ibushi, using all of his core strength, leaves his arms outstretched and refuses to be locked into the Styles Clash. Freeing himself, he tries to kick AJ, who evades and hits a huge lariat, before picking up Kota for a crucifix pile driver. But Kota kicks out at two. Styles hits the top ropes again, going for a 450 splash, but Kota brings up his knees to hit AJ's midsection. Another near fall with Kota in control this time. These two are so evenly matched, it's wild. They hit each other with a variety of strikes and kicks. 
Kota hitting the Insiguri, AJ hitting the Pele kick to a brain buster to another razor close two count. AJ looks so frustrated as Ibushi cradles his legendary neck. AJ brings Ibushi to the top turnbuckle and sets him up for an avalanche styles clash, which has got to be one of the most dangerous moves in wrestling. But Kota this time successfully lands his own Hurricane Rana. He pins AJ, who kicks out at two. He then picks AJ up and hits him with a huge last ride powerbomb before hopping up to the top ropes and landing a wild corkscrew splash, which puts AJ away for the three count to cement his legacy as absolutely one of the best in New Japan. This match probably didn't even make sense as I was like trying to call it because it's so fast paced. It's like it's so reversal, good. One, reversal, two, reversal, both. reversal. It's like absolutely wild. Uh, yeah, it was like almost hard for my eyeballs to watch, but I give it an A. Absolutely great match. Took me a long time to find it on. It's very much buried on the network, but uh, mm. I, I encourage anyone to seek it out. So cool to see these two together. So cool to see AJ as like sort of like the obvious winner of this match and Coda just like not letting him have that. And every time AJ like kind of brings back control, Coda just snatches it from him again. So did you, did you watch to when Okada does a run in at the end and attacks AJ? No, you should go back and watch that part. Fine. Okada does a run in attacks AJ. Gato puts a Rainmaker shirt on AJ and then, it ends with Okada standing over AJ and gold uh, streamers raining down on Okada. Uh, very cool moment. Definitely everybody go back and watch that. Um, and just, it's it's like seems, it's it seems not weird to see AJ and Ibushi, but at the same time, it seems completely surreal to see AJ versus Ibushi. Totally. I don't know how to describe it. Like, it's almost like you're watching like a fantasy world that doesn't actually exist. It's, it's because you think of two different generations. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's like the crossing, which is what made me really want to go back. I was like, holy shit, AJ, Abushi, and Shinsuke are all in this G1. Like, I want to watch yeah, this. Yeah, we should maybe watch that, watch the best of that G, G125, yeah. I would love to watch some of those, especially like uh, fucking Doc Gallows and Machine Gun are in, in there too. Dude, yeah, we should look at what the best, like the highest rated, top 10 highest rated matches are from G1 Climax 25, and we'll do a super card of the top 10 from that. It'd be a fun way to watch some New Japan G1 matches in a more digestible way. John, for our 20th episode. Wow, 20 episodes in. 40 hours of wrestling discussion. Well, this is 19, but the next episode will be the 20th episode. Oh, right, yes. And on that episode... You will review the ending of perhaps the greatest trilogy in all of wrestling. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Oh, hell yeah. I can't wait to... I mean, I love the first two, so I'm real psyched to watch the final. Can't wait to come back for our 20th episode. Uh, thanks thanks uh, for, uh, for, for, for being here, for doing this, for being along on the journey. What? <laughs> this has been another episode of the torture rack podcast you can follow my co-host john f malta at john f malta on all social media you can follow me mark basque at waste of taste on instagram you can follow us on instagram on youtube on patreon on our website and join the torture racked wolf pack